for many, many years, there was a guy that went around to put the stadiums everywhere and held up this sign. Remember that? It's known as the Rainbow Man. And he's also, because he wore, remember the wig, the uh, rainbow-colored wig? His uh, name is uh, Roland Stewart. I learned all kinds of things about him this week. Roland Stewart started off to hold this up because he wanted attention. Uh, he had a problem with wanting attention a lot, so he thought if he did this at stadiums and wore a weird-looking wig, that everybody would give him, give him attention, which they did. And he was always on, on TV a lot. But he held up this sign all over the place, and after a while, actually, he made a commitment to follow Christ. The problem was he was a little unhinged. And uh, what happened eventually down the road, Roland Stewart now is serving three consecutive life terms in prison for uh, kidnapping some people because he believed that that was uh, what God wanted to do before the rapture. And so we see this. So we, we heard, you've seen this sign a lot of places, right? John 3.16. And you know what it says. What does it John 3.16 say? Anybody? Come on. Y'all know that verse. If you don't know any verse at all, that's the one verse you know. Come on, help them a little bit. Give them, put it up on the screen. Uh, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever, well, one and only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Okay? Uh, so that talks about, it talks about that. There's another verse, though, that I've never seen a sign, anybody hold it up at a ball game. And I've never seen anybody, um, you know, go around and say, hey, that's a great verse. I've memorized that verse. But it's a verse we've been talking about for the last couple of weeks. Remember this verse, Luke 9, 23? Luke 9, 23. Okay, this is not as easy. There it is. Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. Now, I want to tell you something about these two signs and about these two verses. Um, they go together. They really do go together. We don't think they go together, but they do. Because John 3.16 talks about and emphasizes belief. But Luke 9.23 emphasizes following. And one of the things that we have learned in this series so far in the first couple of weeks is that there is no true believing without following. There is no true believing without following. In the Gospels, Jesus said, believe in me about five times. But he says, follow me about 20 times. So that's what we've been talking about in this, this series, about how we need to hear the clear call of God to follow him, and we need to understand what that means. So we've been talking about what it means to be a difference between a fan and a follower of Jesus Christ. A fan is just somebody who's an enthusiastic admirer, somebody who really, you know, gets all excited about Jesus, but really doesn't follow him in their life. And there really is no John 3.16 without Luke 29, or 9.23. And the thing we have to understand is, is that we need both of them. Now, today I want to talk about this a little further. We're just kind of unwrapping this. And several people emailed me and said, Pastor Bill, where should we be reading in the book? And have you had that question? I don't know where you should be reading in the book. Wherever you get to in the book, okay? Because unlike, unlike, you know, I, I hope you read the book. Not a fan. We've sold about 250 copies of it. Uh, but the thing is, is it's not like the story where you read one chapter a week and I teach one sermon because we went through 31 weeks. This is only a six-week series, okay? And so the book gives you the big overview of what's going on. But the other thing is this. It gives you the big overview, but but... In small groups, you're going to be focusing on some aspects that I'm kind of following along. But the teaching, all three things together will help you to get this understanding of what the difference is between a fan and a follower. There are three facets of this whole struggle. So, okay, so if you're wherever you're reading, it's fine. 
If you've read through chapter 7 or 8, you're probably about where I am, but it's not. But you're going to be confused because if you want to line up today with a chapter in the book, it's probably chapter 3. But I taught in chapter 5 last week. You're going like, what? It's just the way it flows, okay? When I did the series and looked at it, this is the way the six weeks I can deal with just some of the issues in there and focus on them. So we want to talk about that today. So don't get caught, caught up in trying to keep up week to week. Read the book. Read the whole book. Go to small group. Come to Sunday morning. Put them all together. And you'll have a package and an understanding, hopefully, what it means to be a follower. Today, if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Luke chapter 7. Luke chapter 7, and we're going to look at a passage of Scripture today that deals with this whole thing, another aspect of this, what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. And in Luke chapter 7, uh, we see toward the end of the chapter, we read a story about an encounter that Jesus has with two people. And they're two people that have very different perspectives on what it means to, to, to trust Jesus. Jesus is invited to eat at Simon the Pharisee's house. And as he's invited to eat at Simon the Pharisee's house in that day, the thing was is when you invited someone to your house, and if they were a guest, even a special guest, and you think of Jesus would be a special guest, right? If there was a guest, just a normal guest, a couple of things that you would do always to make them feel welcome. Now, we don't do these same things today, but this is what they did then. Number one, you'd give them a kiss. You'd give them a kiss on the cheek or whatever. It was a cultural thing to do. Or you might kiss them on the hand or whatever, but you'd give them a kiss. And another thing you would do, because in that day they walked everywhere they went, they, had, they wore sandals, I don't know if they were, you know, the really cool sandals like we have today, but they were sandals, and so their feet, there was no paving, so there was dust and dirt on the roads, and so their feet would be dirty, and so one of the things you would do is either you would clean their feet, or you'd have a servant clean their feet. That was just a normal thing to do for any guest. It would be like somebody coming to your house, you come to the door, open the door, say, hey, come in. You don't welcome them, you don't shake their hand, you don't, you know, if it's somebody close, you don't give them a hug, you don't do any of those things you would normally do for somebody that you really want. Would you like something to drink or something like, you know, talk about those things. Those are things we would normally do. It's like almost shunning the guests that you invited. But Simon, Simon invites, the, the Pharisee invites Jesus to his house. And Simon doesn't give Jesus a kiss. He doesn't get, have his feet washed or wash his feet. He doesn't do any of these things. And so while Jesus is eating at this house of this pretender that's, that's a follower of his, in the middle of their meal, there's this uninvited guest that shows up. And the uninvited guest that shows up, it says in Luke chapter 7, it says that she's, she's a known sinner. She's a lady of ill repute. Okay, that's what it says. And she walks into the house, and she is weeping, and she is crying, and she falls at the feet of Jesus and tears are now, her tears off of her, she's crying so much, the tears are just flowing down, and they're dripping off her cheeks, and they're dripping onto the dirty, dusty feet of Jesus. And she notices, probably not thinking that they're going to be dirty and dusty, because she would think Jesus is this honored guest, and his feet would have already been washed. But she looks down, and her tears are just tra making tracks in the dust on Jesus' feet. And when she sees this, because she is so overwhelmed with love for Jesus, what she does... Her, she takes the tears and she undoes her hair and pulls it down and she begins to wash his feet with her hair and with her tears. And then she, when she finishes that up, she begins to kiss his feet and she, then she's crying, she's broken and she pulls out a jar of very expensive perfume and she pours it on his feet. There's these two different uh, looks into this, in this story. Number one, Simon the Pharisee, the religious guy who basically shuns Jesus. He invites him over, but he doesn't do anything to make him feel welcome, to feel close to him. 
And, and then this lady, this lady of ill repute who, who comes in and has this intimate moment with Jesus. So keep this story in mind as we talk a little bit today about intimacy. That's what we're going to be talking about, how, what God wants us to have, knowledge or intimacy. Now, let me, let me just, just, talk, just give you a clue for a minute if you don't know this already. I'm not sure if you know this or not, but when a, ba- when a baby is born, it cries a lot. Y'all figured that out, right? When a baby is born, it cries a lot. Why does a baby cry a lot? Because it's the only way it has to communicate, right? It's the only way it has to communicate. There's no other way it has to communicate its wants or its needs. See, when my children were babies and they were crying, I never knew what was wrong. Any of you guys like to, you know, just raise your hand, admit. You know, they cried, you're going like, what's wrong? And so what do you do? You start this process of elimination. And you go like, you try to pick them up. And, and I would try everything. I'd pick them up and I'd hug them and I'd give them a bottle and, and I'd change their diaper. And when their cries got desperate enough, I would turn the channel from Sports Center over to Sesame Street. You know, I'd do all the, you know, really, you know, radical things to try to calm them down. In the end, though, I didn't know what to do, just to be honest with you. I never figured out what, how to figure out. But for some strange reason, my wife knew. Because when the baby, when our, our son or daughter would cry, uh, she, would, uh, she would just simply look and hear it, and she said, oh, she's tired. Or uh, the baby needs a nap, or she'd say, oh, oh, he's hungry. And so she'd give the baby a ball, and all was right with the world. You know, I don't, for some reason, women have this, mothers have this intuitive understanding of what's going on that us guys just don't get sometimes. And we have to admit that. And, and, and my wife would hear another cry, and she'd say, oh, she needs her diaper changed, and she wants her daddy to change it. I don't know how she knew that. You know, I don't know how that was communicated, but, you know, I think she was really a scam artist. But anyway, the reality is, the reality is there's nothing, let's just say this, there's nothing more intimate than a relationship between a mother and a child. Because a mother is able to know and understand her child's wants and needs in a way that no one else can. I mean, surely you've seen this and you've been at a place where there's a whole bunch of people there, maybe family, friends together, and one of the child is crying, and everybody's passing the child around like a hot potato trying to calm it down, and nobody can calm it down. And then the mother walks in the room and says one word, and, and the baby just calms down. See, there's this intimate relationship of knowing and being known. In a picture, that's intimacy. And until you were, you've witnessed or been in that kind of relationship, you don't know what intimacy is. You know, I could read you the definition, explain where the word comes from and where it's used, but really you just got to see what it looks like. And I think that's a great indication of understanding the, mother, the love between a mother and a child. Now, I want to say three things today that I think in Scripture that, uh, that, that's really true about this whole thing between followers and fans. Number one, God, wants, God knows you intimately. Did you know that? God knows you intimately. And probably the best biblical word for intimacy is the word know in Genesis 4.1. It says this, Now Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. It's, the word know there is, is, is a Hebrew word. And best translated, the best I could do is the word yada. Yada. And that's not really, really good because Hebrew doesn't have any vowels in it. So I don't think that's kind of a strange language. But just to say that. And the word definition is for yada is to know and to be known completely. 
Now, the NIV translates the word a little differently because it puts it into context of what's happening here. So the Bible, your Bible, if it's NIV or some other translation, more modern, uh, this, this translation, ESV, English Standard Version, translates it like, more like the King James. Um, in, in, in Genesis 4.1 in NIV, it says, as Adam made love to his wife Eve. You get the picture? I mean, that's literally what it says. That's the context for yada here. It's this intimate, uh, not only physical, but just wholeness of a relationship. And while we might giggle and brush this past, this is a yada moment between a husband and a wife here. It's what it's talking about in Scripture. But the thing is about this, it's this intimate connection on every level. That's what it's talking about. Now, to known and to be known. And I think it's a beautiful picture. There's something to be said in Scripture here that this word is used because it's talking about the sacredness of sexual intimacy that we read about in a marriage relationship. And it's not just about the physical relationship, but the Hebrew writers would say, in a sense, that one Hebrew writer says this, this describes a mingling of the souls. It's, it's intimacy that's more than just physical. It's just mingling of the souls with somebody that you're, you've heard her soulmate, somebody who's just so connected together. You know, it's hard to understand this until you see the difference between a brand new couple and a couple that's been married a long time. Um, a few months ago, um, out when my wife and I were going out on date night, and we do this on a regular basis, I would encourage you all to do that if you're married, to go out on date night. If you're not married, you date so you can have a wife or husband or whatever, you know. That's part of the deal. But don't stop just because you're married, okay? This, that was not part of the message. That was just a commercial. But, uh, <laughs> but I was out on a date night with my wife, and whenever we go out, uh, there's kind of an unwritten rule now that I'm not allowed to go to a restaurant where I face the TV. Because if I do, I tend to, tend to, you know, I just, my eyes, you know, it's like especially on sports channel. And my eyes tend to go there. And so what happens is if I go there and I watch a TV, it's just her watching me watching whatever's on. And uh, I just can't help myself. So I'm because, so I'm not allowed to watch TV on dates. Now, I found myself watching, so I couldn't do that. So instead, what I did is watch the people, I tend to people watch them. And I was kind of being aware of two couples that were near us. One was a young couple um, newlyweds probably because of their age they looked, had the rings on, the whole deal and, and so I knew that what was going on and, and I just noticed how they were re- interacting with each other uh, they were all over each they were sitting next to each other not across from each other, next to each other and they all snugly you know, and they're all, and all laughing and talk, 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 and they never shut up I don't think they ever ate their food but they were just that way they just kept talking all the time now the next booth over, there's an elderly couple sta- sitting face to face. And they had both had their hand on the table. He had his hand over hers, but they hardly ever said a word. The whole time they were there, just sitting there. They were probably married for decades. And, uh, and they were sitting there. And, and it, my thought was, you know, I'm, I'm thinking, well, how sad. They don't say a word. I just say, you know, and so um, I, I thought about that, and I thought, looked at my wife, and and I said, you know, I said, pointed, I said, look at that. Isn't that kind of sad? It starts off this way, you know, you talk, 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 talk. And then it ends this way where you're just sitting looking at each other, don't have anything to say. She sat there for a moment. She looked at me and she said, well, Bill, you don't get it. Not the first time. But uh, she said, I think it's kind of sweet. And I'm going, it's kind of sweet? I still didn't get it. And, and she, said, she says, you know, um, they're just able to sit there 
and to be together. And they already have this close, intimate connection that's decades has developed, but they don't have to say a lot of words to communicate their closeness to one another. I'm guessing she's right. But the reality is, the reality is, is that, you know, I don't know what these people were thinking, these, this older couple. This younger couple wasn't paying attention to anybody else anyway, so they don't care what anybody else was thinking. But, you know, this older couple, the only thing they were probably thinking was, well, what is that guy staring at us over there for? And, uh, <laughs> you know, Yada is about this intimate personal connection between two people. But what I'm about to tell you that what we see in the Old Testament is going to be a little weird, a little strange to you, because I've just described a connection between a husband and a wife. And if you trace the usage of the word yada throughout the Old Testament, guess what? You'll find that word over and over again. This is the same word that, that it's used to describe God's relationship to us. Over and over, the word yada is used to describe how God knows you and how he wants to be known by you. That's kind of weird, isn't it? You know, that God wants you to have this relationship, this, this, this intimate relationship like you have with, your only, with only one person in the world other than God, and that's your spouse. Moms have a certain level, but really the greatest intimate relationship should be a husband and a wife together. And I began to think about this. That's the way it's described in Scripture, and it completely changed the way I saw my relationship with God because I thought this, thinking of the day-in, day-out connection that my wife and I have, I'm embarrassed to look at how my connection with God compares. Because I don't see myself connecting with God the same way I connect with my wife. I'm not talking about physically. I'm talking about this intimacy, this closeness, this, this desire to be together. But learning this taught me something. My relationship to Jesus is not a weekend fling. It's not a, it's not a casual encounter. It is a yada, a deep knowing. It's intimacy. You know that David in, the, in Psalms, uh, in Psalm 139, he writes in six times in this, this, the couple of verses, he describes how God knows us in Psalm 139. He says this, O Lord, you have examined my heart and you what know yada, everything about me you know when i sit down or stand up you know there's that word again my thoughts even when i'm far away you see me when i travel and when i'm at rest you know everything i do you know what i'm going to say even before i say it lord see david speaks to god in this intimate way this yada way he says god you know how i feel you know how i hurt you know what i'm thinking he knows all these things see number one the bible cl clearly says that god knows us in that way that intimately it's not just this God up here, us down here, kind of ruler, uh, servant kind of way. He has an intimate relationship with us. Now, on the flip side of that, though, number two is this. God wants, to know, wants you to know him. God wants you to know him. I don't know about you, but I think it's kind of crazy to think that God, who knows us deeply and intimately, <laughs> he knows everything. He doesn't know just what we do. He knows what we think. Now think about that for a minute. And he still says in Scripture that he wants us to have an intimate relationship with him. Do you think your, your, your spouse or anybody else would think the same of you if they knew everything you thought? Just be honest now. I hope so. 
But the reality is, is God knows all these things, and he still invites us to this invitation. For some wild reason, the creator of heaven and earth has offered an invitation for you and for me. He's opened his heart, and he said things like, I want to know you, I want you to know me more closely and intimately than you know anyone else. I want you to know my heart, God says. I want you to connect with me on a level that can only be reached through the most vulnerable intimacy. I want our souls to come together uh, for both of us to know the other deeply and wholly. You know, if somebody else said that to us, wouldn't we be a little, you know, if it wasn't our spouse, wouldn't we be a little uh, put off? Maybe um, have a little problem with that? See, many of us have a hard time knowing how to deal with intimacy. Just to be honest with you, really do. We can do pretty well at avoiding intimacy. But when it's right in our faces, some of us kind of lose it. That's why it's not surprising that one of the most common responses to intimacy is what? Fear. Some of us fear intimacy because intimacy, honestly, intimacy can be pretty scary because it involves allowing yourself to be vulnerable, to be known. And sometimes we think if somebody really knows who we are, that they couldn't possibly love us or want to have a relationship with us, that's our problem. And many people feel intimacy with others and with God because they know that vulnerability and pain go hand in hand. So many people have experienced in a close relationship betrayal. They've experienced a crushing blow from someone close to them. They've opened up, they've made themselves vulnerable, and, and then let somebody, someone let them down. And because of that, we know the pain of that, and so we don't want it again. And when we make ourselves vulnerable to God, we know he's going to find some things that we're not proud of, right? (laughs) He knows it already. But now we know that he knows. Think of the sinful woman in Luke 7, going back to the verse that we looked at. Your Bibles are still there, you know? Look at her, a woman of ill repute. She knew she had sin in her life that made her unworthy to touch the Messiah. And because we're all, and because we've all fallen short, we know that God's going to look into our lives and find things that He doesn't condone. So it's kind of, kind of makes sense that we don't, that many people are afraid of that vulnerability. But see, followers know that there's something, so much more to be gained from intimacy with God because we know that He's there with us through all the pain we endure. The comfort, that comfort, knowing that God's with you can only come through intimacy. It can't come through knowledge. So the third point today is this. And we've been talking about the difference between fans and followers. Fans choose knowledge. Followers embrace intimacy. See, in church, we've often failed to embrace the kind of intimacy with Jesus. Instead, we've created a system focused on learning, right? Let's just be honest with ourselves. It's all about learning. Not unlike the other person in the story besides the lady of ill repute. Who's the other guy? Simon the Pharisee. Why did he invite Jesus to his house? What did he call him? He calls him teacher. See, he wants to learn some more. He's not about having an intimate relationship with Jesus. He's out, he just wants to learn some more stuff. He's all about knowledge. Admittedly, our default setting is knowledge, not intimacy. Think about it. 
Just think about it. We love Bible studies, don't we? We love Bible studies, many of which include some kind of workbook that includes a curriculum for working through a particular book of the Bible. I mean, sermons are accompanied by at least brief outlines so you can fill in the blanks, and I've learned something today. We think, like, you know, that's the deal. You know, um, we have all kind of Christian schools, colleges, places like that that have been established all over the world, ranging from grade school to graduate studies, all for which offer different courses that study God, theology, exegesis, Greek, Hebrew, all these things. We even do it to our kids. You know, this morning, some of our, a lot of our kids are over in Upstreet. Junior high goes to whatever it's, I can't think of all the terms now, what we use there. Junior high, senior high, all the different things that go on here. We're in small groups, and so often we call them Bible studies. I never call my small group a Bible study. You know why? Because that's not the only thing we do there. That's just one of the things we do. You know, we have all these things, and I grew up, you know, and maybe you grew up too, uh, going through Bible competitions. You call it all kind of different things based on what denominational background you have. These competitions where you have to memorize tons of Scripture, and you go through the process, and you have contests to see who can, you know, do it, and, and who can, uh, how fast you can raise your hand or hit a button. Yes, I'm a little bit bitter because I never won anything in those things, but the reality is, is that we have all these things. Now, don't get me wrong. Hold it. Don't get me wrong. Studying and learning God's Word is invaluable. Jesus referenced, read, quoted all kinds of passages from the Old Testament, ample proof that he had studied God's Word with great care and diligence. But listen to this. However, we can't expect knowledge to replace intimacy. Even though we often try to. And I think we try to substitute knowledge for intimacy because knowledge is so much easier. It's so much easier. It's easy to say, well, I know about Jesus. But he wants us to know him. Yada. And that's where we find Simon the Pharisee. He knew a lot about Jesus and his teachings, and he wanted to learn more. He calls him teacher, emphasizing that he's most interested in learning from Jesus, not opening up to Jesus. And then when this this woman of ill repute comes into his house, what does he see? What does Simon, this guy who's this religious person, see? All he sees is her exterior. All he sees is this woman and how embarrassed he is and all of his guests. He's, he's probably the greatest embarrassed. You know, like, it's like when your, your weird uncle shows up. You know, you're embarrassed. And the Bible tells us this in Luke chapter 7, verse 39. It says, when the Pharisee, Simon, who had invited Jesus, saw this, the lady come and do all this stuff to Jesus, have this intimate time with Jesus, the tears coming down, Wiping, her, wiping his feet with her hair, anointing him with oil, which none, all the things that should have been done to start with by him is an honored guest. It says, when he saw this, when the Pharisee who had invited Jesus saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. He probably says it to himself, but it's recorded in Scripture, so I must say it loud enough for somebody else to hear. But Jesus who knew Simon's thoughts, answered him. And here's the indictment. It's not about knowledge, Simon. It's about intimacy. He says, look, I came in the house. You did not give me a kiss, not even on my hand. She hasn't stopped kissing my feet. You gave me nothing to wash my feet with. She is washing my feet with her tears. 
She gave me no olive oil for, for my head. That was something they did in that day. She has poured perfume on my feet. And the picture here in this passage of Scripture is about people can see just the brokenness of this woman. And then Jesus turns to this woman and she sa he says to her, not to Simon, the guy who'd invite him in, the religious guy who did all the things right, religiously, she, he says to this woman, your sins are forgiven, go in peace. It's about intimacy, not about knowledge. You can have all the knowledge in the world. But without a relationship with Jesus Christ that's intimate, where you're known and he knows you, you know he knows you anyway, and, and you know him, all the knowledge in the world will not do to you good. See, Simon brought Jesus to the mill, but all he wanted was knowledge. He wanted to keep things shallow. And he defined his relationship not by washing Christ's feet, not by caring to kiss him, not by being willing to anoint his head. But this woman was willing to open up to Jesus. And she made herself vulnerable, being totally willing to open up and let Jesus know her. That is intimacy. So, let me say this and I'm closing. So will you let Jesus know you? See, followers focus on the relationship, the intimacy. Fans, all you do is focus on knowledge. That's why I'm constantly saying, folks, if, not, if you, you can go to all the Bibles, I'm glad you go to Bible study. But don't just go to a Bible study just so you know stuff. Read God's Word so you can know Him and have a deeper not, uh, understanding of Him so you can be more intimate with God and be more vulnerable to Him and open up to Him and let Him heal the hurts that's in your life because just the knowledge alone, you know, people are always asking, Pastor Bill, tell me some way to fix this. Let me tell you how to fix anything in life. Get closer to Jesus. Be more intimate with Him. It doesn't come through knowledge. It comes through the closeness and the intimacy of the relationship with God who he lives in your life and you trust him like you trust no one else. That's the difference between a fan and a follower. Will you embrace the close and intimate relationship he wants to have with you? Because with the intimate relationship comes forgiveness and yada, something only followers truly experience. Let's pray. Thank you for listening to Great Oaks Community Church's weekly podcast. For more series and podcast information, go to greatoakscc.org.